Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here at The Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favorite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column Hear, Hear, that's here as in hearing and here as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Hear newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Brexit Memes, the Guardian's weekly gaze into the still reassuringly cloudy crystal ball of Brexit. In this episode, does Theresa May's new plan for a backstop agreement to prevent a hard border in Northern Ireland get anywhere closer to resolving Brexit's most concrete problem? And perhaps equally importantly, does it say anything about the state of the Prime Minister's relations with her cabinet hardliners? Will a new poll on what people in Northern Ireland want from Brexit have any influence on the whole process? And how seriously should we take rumours starting to circulate at Westminster about, heaven help us, autumn elections? And with me to discuss all this in the studio are Sonia Soda, the Observer's chief leader writer and a Guardian comment desk regular, and on the line from Brussels, Dan Boffy, the Guardian's bureau chief there. Welcome to both of you. Um, Dan, if I can start with you, this backstop business, just to remind listeners first, the government has still to decide which of its two post-Brexit customs arrangements to avoid a hard border in Ireland, both of which, of course, the EU has already rejected, it wants to go for, either the customs partnership or this high-tech max-fac option. So what we're talking about here, aren't we, is this so-called backstop arrangement. In other words, what will come about if no other mutually acceptable solution to the Irish border impasse can actually be found. Now, Dan, you were at the Sophia EU summit last week where this new plan was sort of first touted around. Could you just talk us through it a little bit? And just to remind us, what I mean, what is the current backstop arrangement? How did it come to be in the withdrawal agreement that was signed last year? And what's different now? Yes, so uh, bear with me, this is quite convoluted, but you remember the first year of the negotiations were three big subjects, citizens' rights, divorce bill, and how to avoid the border on the island of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Last December, the EU and the UK, in order to sort of move things on from those, those big topics, signed something called the Joint Report. 
they dealt with those three issues. And after much drama, largely due to the DUP throwing a spanner in the works at the last minute, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, it was agreed in terms of the Irish border for free trade deal, a future free trade deal to the EU and the UK, or technological solutions, bespoke technological solutions, didn't solve the problem of avoiding a border, a hard border in the island of Ireland, then there would this be this backstop which would come into force. And that basically would be that Northern Ireland would stay in the customs union and much of the, the rules that govern the single market. So essentially Northern Ireland would essentially pretty much stay in the EU um, but, but without a say in, in, the, in the rules. Now, here's where the DUP got pretty angry. They got wind of this and the only way May got this through the DUP, who remember give uh, Theresa May her working majority in Parliament, was by promising in paragraph 50 of the joint report right. that there would be no, this did not mean there would be a border in the Irish Sea. So the Northern Ireland staying in the customs union, the single market, would not mean there would be a border in the Ireland Sea between the rest of the UK and Northern Ireland. So it was very vague how this was going to happen. It wasn't at all fleshed out. And the EU didn't really understand it. And so in March, when the EU published their legally operable backstop, they just focused entirely on what it would mean for Northern Ireland staying in the customs union, staying in the single market. They ignored paragraph 50. They ignored that was an internal uh, agreement between the UK and the UK government and the DUP. They ignored that entirely. So when the DUP saw this, this legal piece of work, they were furious. And Theresa May had to say, oh, no British prime minister would ever agree to this backstop. We'll come up with a different backstop that stays true to the original joint report. The two paragraphs I've mentioned, the one that uh, Northern Ireland stays in the customs union and single market, but also paragraph 50, the UK not allowed border between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. And essentially, the, the story ever since has been Theresa May trying to find a backstop that the Cabinet will agree to, that the DUP will agree to, that the EU will agree to. What she suggested is that the UK, after the transition period, will, for a time-limited limited period, stay in the customs union. She has suggested, Leah Radvin, to Sophia, there's a summit on uh, Thursday, where Theresa May sort of did a kind of blow the radar. She didn't tell me about it. She kept going around speaking to EU leaders about this. She didn't advertise it very, very heavily at all and talking to Donald Tusk about this. And she was saying, this is what we want to do. And they suggested also that somehow the UK would also stay in, this, in single market legislation for a, a time-limited period as well to avoid that, that border on the island of Ireland. And what was the response from Veronica? Uh, well, Ireland... Who? are desperate for a solution, and the idea of the UK staying in the customs union single market is fantastic. They want, they, you know, they were very keen for a transition period to be for 10 years plus, if, if possible. So they were kind of warm to it, a bit concerned that Theresa May didn't quite seem to understand that just staying in the customs union wouldn't solve the problem, that she needed to explain what part of the single market legislation with the UK would stay in. So they were quite, they're, they're quite open to it. Donald Tusk, when Theresa May presented this, she wanted some kind of reassurance that this would crack things on in June. There's a big European Council summit in June. After that, hopefully things will talk, get really serious on trade. There'll be a political declaration between the EU and UK on trade, and you know, things get very serious. She wanted some reassurance that this backstop would, would crack things would, in June. Would sort of clear, the, clear the path for, for progress clear the path, towards exactly. that. But yeah. he wasn't giving it. He was saying, no, look, you've got to write it down. Because all this was all this is verbal. I mean, this has kind of been the, the way for the UK negotiations from day one, it's kind of they tend to do things verbally rather than writing things down, and that's not the EU way. So they say, look, no, you've got to write it down, and there's, there is some considerable concerns um, about the proposal. Hmm. It's classic cherry-picking. 
Exactly, exactly. We'll, we'll come back to that in a second. So I just want to turn to Sonia now um, and ask you, Sonia, a little bit about the sort of what, what the domestic, in you know, a bit of domestic sort of tea leaf, tea leaf reading about what this might mean. Because some people have seen in this new plan, what, you know, whatever, as Dan was saying, anyone outside the, outside the UK thinks of it. Some people have seen sort of a bit of evidence in there that may might be winning the kind of cabinet power struggle. Because I mean, it is interesting, isn't it, that she managed to persuade people like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove, who, you know, are the most kind of, I, I suppose, prominent proponents of a kind of fast, clean break with the EU. I mean, they've, they're on board with it. They've, they've said, as long as it doesn't last for too long. There's no immediate talk of a sort of a leadership challenge, which there had been with this in prospect. What's your take on where the cabinet is now? Is is May gaining the upper hand? So I, I don't think it's changed that much, actually, in the last 12 months. And I think if you look at what's characterised uh, the Brexiters' a sort of response to May's proposals mm. and May's fudges, it's really quite consistent. So first of all, there's a huge fuss made out about it. You know, everyone says, these are the red lines. David Davis, you know, threatens to resign. Boris Johnson might say he's going to walk away from it all so there's a huge you know amount of hot air and fuss and then eventually some weeks down the line people seem to fall behind the prime minister so we saw that happen with the divorce bill for example we had lots of you know lots of we will not accept paying the eu this million number of euros and actually people in the end did fall into line behind the prime minister and i think that's because you know the sort of irony of theresa may's situation is she is a weak leader in many ways but she has one source of authority with her cabinet and I think you know we might come on to this later that is that no one really wants a general election in her party and so people want to rock the boat they want to rock the boat enough to pull her towards their position so she's sort of trying to you know create this fudge between sort of on the one hand people like you know Nikki Morgan and Anna Soubry on the sort of Remainy side of her party with um, more fervent Brexiteers like Jacob Rees-Mogg she's sort of trying to carve a sort of fudge that goes between them that whole the party together and you know so in the one sense people want to make a lot of noise and try and drag her towards drag that fudge more towards their position but in the end I think when it comes down to it you know they will fall into line because nobody really wants to take the mantle from her right now I think at what is quite an awkward time I think if you look at kind of Boris Johnson does he really want to be prime minister now I I seriously doubt that so if that is the case and and she knows that everybody will eventually fall into to line behind her why the need uh, for all this sort of uh, all this sort of delicate maneuvering and, and and endless negotiation i think that's a good question i think a lot of it is sort of you know face off between sort of the, the two sides of her party and her herself and i think some of it would just come down to the fact that this has always been an issue that's racked the conservative party and it was sort of you know it was kind of put to bed for a little while perhaps by you know in the early stages of of David Cameron's tenure as Prime Minister but Europe has always been the issue that gets the Conservative Party so I think she has enough authority to sort of hold off on a general election but she sort of sort of she needs to at least pay lip service yes absolutely I think she's I feel like she's kind of suspended in this very uncomfortable sort of place where she doesn't really have the authority to show leadership but no one really wants to see her go as well, which right. leads to this kind of very uncomfortable, you know, toing and froing, yeah. particularly between her and, and the Brexiteers and yeah. her party. Yeah, yeah, and it's pretty uncomfortable for Europe, obviously, as well, Dan. Just back to this sort of back 
backstop proposal, as you mentioned, it, it does raise the prospect of the UK staying in the customs union, or at least bits of it, for a very long time. I mean, perhaps many years, up to a decade, as you said, after March 2019 and the end of the transition period 20 months or so later. And in order for that situation to come to an end, of course, there's going to have to be a very deep and special trade relationship. Indeed, otherwise, you're just landed back with the same problem of the of the Irish border. Now, and as far as I understand it, the problem is that the EU really doesn't see that kind of relationship as being possible because of the, the UK's red lines. And also, any kind of extension of that kind of length, I mean, if you're talking a, a decade or so, you know, that would basically more or less see Britain staying in the customs union kind of by the back door. I mean, that would be cherry picking, wouldn't it? I mean, that would be kind of the whole sort of pick and mix approach that the EU has ruled out from the start. If there's the the Brussels line really is if there's going to be any extension, it has to be an extension of everything, just just like the transition period. You know, all the rules and all the freedoms have to be observed. It's really a status quo deal. Is that really where we are? So, I mean, does this does this backstop that, that might see Britain staying in for a long time actually stand a chance of being acceptable to the EU? It's been, a, I mean, it's been a quite a muted response so far from the EU. You know, concerns were raised, but no one's really come out and said anything. And I think that's, uh, well, one, one EU official did say to me that, um, that the last thing Theresa May needs at the moment is, is sort of an episode of Brit bashing. The position is uncomfortable enough as it is. But in reality, I, yes, I, I think that's precisely what you, right what you say. I can't see how this is possibly acceptable. Um, it is very much of the cherry-picking mode. I can see they will put into the withdrawal agreement uh, an extension clause so the transition period could be extended, and that could be extended for a bit. But even then, because it's part of the Article 50 withdrawal agreement, it has to be, very, it has to be quite tight and time-limited. It can't go on forever. The Article 50 withdrawal agreement is about withdrawal. It's not about the future relationship. So you, it, can't, it can't be forever and a day. It has to be quite short. Maybe an extra year, possibly, at, at max, people are talking. So I can see that maybe as a solution. But um, at the moment, I can't see how Theresa May's backstop is going to get them through June. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds promising. Let's move on a, a little bit. We shouldn't forget ever that this is also about real people. And there was a, a, a very revealing opinion uh, poll uh, this week, uh, which showed that Northern Ireland, that the subject of everything that we've been talking about, this whole backstop thing is obviously all to do with Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland and the border between them. Northern Ireland, which voted 56% to remain and 44% to leave in the 2016 referendum, would now vote, ask the same question, 69% to 31% in favour of staying. Uh, Now, it also showed there was very substantial support for staying in the customs union and the single market, and it showed intense opposition to north, south and east-west border checks. Those are the checks between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK that that Dan was talking about earlier. Plus, even more alarmingly, significant support for illegal or extreme protests against any kind of border controls, particularly uh, among Catholics, that was. Now, Sonia, that seems to me to be actually possibly quite a big deal, doesn't it? I mean, for one thing, it runs pretty much completely counter to the DUP's position, which, as Dan was saying, is what guarantees Theresa May's majority. Now, David Davis, the Brexit secretary, made only his second, and it was a very low-profile visit to the Irish border this week. Jacob Rees-Mogg last week 
said some sort of slightly scandalous remarks that, you know, he felt he didn't need to visit the border at all in order to understand the issues there. Do, I mean, do you think this is the issue that's going to come back to, to bite the, the government really seriously, that they have just underestimated the significance of this problem? Um, yes. Well, I, I think, you know, we've really seen the Irish border dominate uh, sort of uh, the, all of the um, coverage, all of the talks in the last in recent weeks. And in some ways, I think there were lots of people who predicted this. And in our national debate, we didn't speak spend a huge amount of time debating the consequences of Brexit for Ireland. But there were people, even back then, before we voted, who said this is going to be absolutely massive. And I think it is. And I think it's because, actually, Theresa May's right. I don't think a prime minister can, you know, a British prime minister could countenance uh, the return of a hard border with border infrastructure between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And I also think it would be completely unacceptable for a British prime minister to sort of see a border crop up in the of the Irish Sea. So in many ways, I think, you know, what this polling reflects um, in terms of public opinion in Northern Ireland, it shows that people are against uh, a border infrastructure, you know, on the island of Ireland, but also in the Irish Sea. And I think that kind of reflects where where a prime minister really has to be. And I don't think it's a surprise in, in many ways that sort of public opinion has shifted in Northern Ireland, because I think there has been so much more debate about this. And I think it's it's becoming clearer exactly what Brexit would mean. And I think, you know, I don't even think it's so much that the shift in public opinion in Northern Ireland is really going to sort of be what changes the prime minister's minds about this. Because I think, you know, we've seen public opinion in Scotland. I just don't think public opinion in the devolved nations, as sad as it is, I just don't think it weighs that much on the prime minister's mind. I think she's much more concerned about what's going on in in her cabinet. But I do think that the public opinion there reflects the hard reality of this conundrum that just doesn't seem to have a solution. So I think it's, it's entirely plausible that the border question in Ireland is what shapes what Brexit means for us going forward. And I myself, I just can't see what the solution is. It's very hard to see a way out, isn't it? It really is. Do you think there's any prospect of, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, that, that, and it seems fairly clear that public opinion in Ireland might have shifted because the scale and the complexity and the you know the sort of impossibility of the problem is coming more and more into focus is there any possibility of a similar kind of swing in public opinion in England specifically do you think as those issues as the complexity of the whole thing becomes clearer and clearer I mean, I don't think we've seen that shift in public opinion yet. Could it happen? It's really hard to know. I mean, I spent a bit of time thinking about what might create a shift in public opinion. And I think what might create a shift might be some political leadership that's really honest, that says to the country, look, you voted for this. We want to deliver what you voted for. But actually, there are some things that are incredibly complex here, which means that there are some really difficult trade-offs. And for me, that's one of the biggest problems about Theresa May's premiership. She's continued to sort of say to the public, essentially, look, we can have it all. We can have our cake and eat it. And I think that stores up a lot of scope for public anger and backlash further down the line. And that's very dangerous because that's the sort of stuff that sows the seeds for a sort of UKP kind of far-right resurgence. Um, So I think political leadership might change the public's minds, but it's hard to see what else might in some ways because I just don't think people in England will pay the same attention to the debate about Northern Ireland with all its intricacies. I mean, it's so complex. My head hurt after I heard Dan take us through that all. So, you know, I don't don't think, you know, members of the public in England play the same 
same amount of attention to that debate as people in Northern Ireland who are obviously much more immediately affected by it. And if the economy starts to experience problems, I mean, we already are seeing issues, you know, people chalk it up to things that weren't about the thing that they voted for and believed in. So I find it quite hard to sort of see how public opinion is going to shift unless we see a shift in our political leadership. And it really doesn't seem like Theresa May is a woman who's going to deliver that. Right. Right. Okay, Dan. Now, you mentioned the summit this June, the the, the next month's summit, the June summit um, a little bit earlier. I mean, is that going to be the... So this whole question of Northern Ireland and the border is, is going to be the big topic of conversation there. And... What else still needs to be sorted out? Because, you know, we tend to forget there's quite a lot. I mean, I think Michel Barnier was saying last week there's still 25% um, of his of his chart still to be kind of um, filled in with green, isn't there? What What's still left and how important is the Irish question going to be? Yes, no, the, the 25% thing is, is, is he also says the uh, UK is leaving 715 international agreements. It's, it's one of the things he just repeats over and over mm. and <laughs> yes. But within the 25%, there are things, for example, Euratom. Theresa May said she wants to have an association agreement um, with Euratom. So that needs to be sorted out. Then there's governance of the withdrawal agreement. Well, who's the final arbiter? Um, and that's the ECJ question. Yes, yeah, so the European Union say mm. the EC, the, if somebody has a problem with the withdrawal agreement and thinks it's been um, defaulted in some way, that they should be able to go to the ECJ to, to get a judgment. The UK, they're pushing against that. Uh, we shouldn't be under the ECJ in any way after Brexit. And then there's other little bits, things like um, geographical indications. So the French are very keen for us to respect their champagne and cheeses um, post-Brexit. And we're actually holding back on that at the moment. We're holding back on talking about that. Um, It's a bit of leverage. So there's the little bits, but it's all all going to be about Northern Ireland and whether Ireland are satisfied and whether the EU are satisfied that that this backstop isn't cherry-picking. And at the moment, yeah, it doesn't Feel, doesn't feel that that great. Um, sorts of crisis and, and maybe know, some kind of emergency. The European Council after June, maybe. Really? You know, all sorts of oh, problems. really? Is that's really that's being that's being discussed in the corridors of Brussels? The, thing, well, the prospect of the whole the thing real, blowing up. Real worry that things are going to could. I mean, at the Sofia summit, Leo Varadkar was did say, you know, if we don't have something by June, significant progress by June, then we have to question whether a withdrawal agreement is possible at all. And that would be a disaster on both sides. So anything that can avoid that sort of chatter um, is helpful. So, but yeah, yeah, Northern Ireland, it's all about Northern Ireland. It will so be about Northern Ireland. Yeah, it, it really is the issue that, 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 that you know, where, where sort of, essentially, I suppose, where, you know, the, the, the Brexit dream meets the Brexit reality, really. Um, Sonia, so is that, I mean, finally, back to you then. Um, is that what's driving, then, do you think, this possibility of the whole June summit blowing up in the government's face? That, that, is that what's driving this? Because there has been an unusual level of speculation and rumour, hasn't there, the last few days about the possibility of a of a snap election in, yes. in the UK. Yes, oh, the snap election. It's that, <laughs> it's that thing that just keeps coming back to haunt us and uh, never seems to materialise. So I think, I mean, I think there's no chance. I, I mean, maybe I will be on your podcast in, <laughs> in a couple of months eating a hat or something similar, but I think there's no chance of a general election in the autumn. I think, I don't think anyone in the Conservative Party really wants a general election. I think there's a huge amount of uncertainty about what would happen. They have got a four-point poll lead. They do, but I mean, <laughs> goodness, 
look what happened to Theresa <laughs> yes, May's exactly. uh, poll lead. And, and I think that's the thing about where we are in this current moment. Huge political uncertainty. No one really knows whether local election results are predictive of how you would do in a general election anymore. And look how much things changed in um, uh, the general election a year ago. So so I don't think anyone really wants a general election. I think all the talk of a snap general election is just part of this pantomime of, you know, and when, when you look at where it's coming from, it's coming from backbench Tory Brexiteers who sort you know, are using it to exert pressure on the Prime Minister. But I think she should call their bluff because no one really wants a general election. And I think there are some Tory MPs who'd be, who would be worried about losing their seats. I think there's a lot of uncertainty about, you know, Jeremy Corbyn. Could he do better than last time? Maybe not. But, you know, it's really all up for grabs. Yeah. So um, I would be really shocked if we ended up having another election uh, later this year. Okay, well, finally, um, a small piece of good news. (laughs) Okay, well, that's about it for this week. Um, Thank you both very much, Sonia and Dan, for joining me. Please do subscribe, review on all your favourite podcatchers and join the discussion on Twitter. You just need to search for Guardian Podcasts. And you can email us too, of course, at brexitpodcast. That's all one word, brexitpodcast at theguardian.com. Till next week then, I'm John Henley. The producer was Simon Barnard. This was Brexit Means... And thank you very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.